It's every election ever and beer. That was a weird intro. It was different. <laughs> Got to mix it up some. Why are you trying to be different all the time? <laughs> I'll tell you what was weird was you shutting off that bumper music like it was hot. Yeah, well, they won't hear that any actual. Uh, oh well. yeah, thanks for ruining that. <laughs> man, we're back for another episode. Yeah, Eddie, how are you, man? Hey, what's going on, fellas? We're good. We're we're here in the same place again, which makes it better, I think. It, you know? I, I, I wish Eddie was sitting across me because that, that episode in Chattanooga was awesome. The two that we recorded were great, and Eddie was just talking about how the, I mean, even the background sounds t- turned out awesome. I don't know yeah. if you've heard it yet, but yeah. it was really cool. We, we got to do that again. Eddie's wanting to go to Asheville. I'm going to try to line that up. Uh, would love to go to yeah. Asheville and do that. Yeah. Eddie's got some favorites over there. Yes. So what election are we even on, by the way? 1824. The election of 1824. It's about to get serious, but before that, we're going to talk about some beer. Let me tell you, Eddie. We're trying your beer. Okay. Um, first off, this is your first go-around at brewing your own beer. Holy smokes. I think Eddie's a certified genius. We're figuring that out as we this go. This is really <laughs> good beer. So we're trying Blood of Tyrants tonight. We picked this up from Eddie down in Chattanooga. This is smoking good. I I'm mean, not, I'm not blowing smoke at all. This is really good beer. And Eddie said it was good, too. It, it caused him to burp a lot last episode, but I'm going to I'm gonna try it. <laughs> I could drink seven or eight of these. Wow. I could even drink this. That's amazing. <laughs> Doesn't even have, a, have an umbrella in it. <laughs> no. That's strange. Wow. So we're drinking Blood of Tyrants and, and definitely enjoying it. we got some backup beers here as well that we may talk about it later. It's going to score much lower than this one, though. Yeah, probably. Great job, Eddie. We're impressed. Hey, yeah. thank you. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, though, round number two, pressure's on, man. Yeah, what are you making next oh, time? Oh, yeah. No, you got to make the same brew, man. This is some good stuff. This time I brewed Hare's Porter, which is what the Founding Fathers were drinking at the time of the uh, First Continental Congress. Uh, so what we talked about it in the first episode, John Adams write home, writes home to Abigail a letter about how good the beer is. What's funny, I, I don't know if I told you guys, I was actually in Philadelphia this past weekend for the Army-Navy game. I was jealous. I saw that. And um, I was in the room where it went down. And to be able to see, you know, essentially how it's staged as if the painting was, was being painted that day. Of course, the only original piece of furniture was the the seat that Washington sat in, oh, okay. which was still pretty cool, yeah. by the way. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. But it was a, a just, it's stupid cool. I mean, to, to walk in the room and... They do a pretty good job with the, the tour and all that. I've never been to Philadelphia before. Sounds- okay, so Philadelphia, <laughs> as Eddie, as you know, has areas that are enormously charming. And then you've got streets that are one, maybe two streets over from the charming area that you, you literally step over homeless people, fecal matter, and just gobs of trash. It's two different worlds, man. And brotherly love at the same time. I guess. Right, yeah. I guess those are the streets where Rocky's friends live in the early Rocky movies. I guess, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He runs very quickly through those areas. <laughs> what are you drinking tonight, man? I have an Innocent Gun, Blood Red Sky, Rum Barrel Red Beer. Wow, that all fits on a label? Yes, and a beautiful label and a beautiful brewery. You've had This is the second Innocent Gun you've had, I think. Yeah, I had the bourbon barrel porter, which is amazing, which is one of my favorite beers now. That was the first time I'd ever had it, but So Blood of Tyrant has a has a um almost a tea aftertaste. I mean it's a very subtle 
tea leaf. Was there tea leaf in the recipe? There's not. I think what you're tasting yeah. is corn. Okay. It's that's made the, with Indian corn, as corn Thomas Jefferson called it. Yeah. I mean, this is really good beer. Scott is really enjoying that. Not that I didn't, but he I only poured like, me. I don't, I don't know how to classify it, though. It's it's much more complex than just a Pilsner, but it's not so dark that it would be an amber. It's just right smack in the middle. It's really refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it was good, too. My backup beer, by the way, because I'm finished with this pittance that Scott poured for me of your beer is... <laughs> yeah, is uh, I saved the rest for me. It's Rogue's Six Hop IPA, which I think we're on the sixth president. I saved this for this, this election. Yeah, on purpose. But we're about to talk about John Quincy Adams. Quincy. Yes. Quincy. Let's well get, done. Well done. I know Extra I tried. Credit. I tried. I learned from you last episode, which... Do you uh, think he got bullied on the playground? Quincy. <laughs> <laughs> Quincy. He went to private school. Yeah. Come on. So what do we need to know about the buildup of this election? Let's get into it. Oh, my gosh. There's so much. This is probably, well, people disagree. The election of 1828 is the realignment election. But the 1824 election that precedes it, in many parts, creates what happens in 1828. And in my personal opinion... The election of 1824 is the most interesting election in American history. Oh, you not you've not set it up at all to disappoint us. Just so you know, yeah, no kidding, you, no pressure at all for this. <laughs> whatever, whatever you say from now on, yeah. it's really going to be your fault. It's all downhill from here, <laughs> gentlemen. Welcome to the age of democracy. Oh, dun, dun, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a drum roll or something. But but really, this is the one that changed. And, and if you if you say that this election changes everything from us being classified as a republic to a what everyone now says we're a democracy, which is obviously wrong. Yes, this is gonna be interesting. The last it founding is, father is gone. Yeah. He's he's out. Yes, this is going to be uh, the successor to Monroe. So far, every single president of the United States ever has been a member of that founding generation. Right. And despite what you might hear in a House Judiciary Committee hearing, our founders did not love democracy. They were not out (laughs) to protect democracy. right. They despised democracy. If someone called you a Democrat, those were fighting words. Like, that's an epithet being tossed at you. Still would be for me. <laughs> yeah, when I call somebody a Democrat, it's still... That, oh, man, why did we do that? I know. <laughs> now all our Democrat listeners are turning it uh, off. They're good. They, they're not listening anyway. <laughs> they don't like history. So the era of good feelings is about to draw to a close. And here's the question I have for you guys. Bring it okay. to Okay, political parties, are they a good thing? Or a bad thing. Very simple. They're a good thing. I mean, I, I, I think the, the more important argument or the more difficult answer is, is it better to have a two-party system or a multi-party or a three-party system? That's essentially what he's asking, right? Yeah. Is, is one party versus multi-party? No, no, no. He's just said, is it good to have political parties? Oh, okay. That black and white is yes. Right. But if you go as far as saying, do we need a three, four-party system? I don't know. I'm still trying to make that my, I'm still trying to make my mind up. Yeah. I mean, it's I think. Very in- go ahead. Oh no, you go ahead. No, I think what I was going to say is I, I don't think anyone benefits from having one party that's not really challenged by a legitimate contender. I think that only makes 
both parties better if there's challenges on both sides to, to challenge ideas and thoughts and that sort of thing. But it's really funny that you bring that up because if you look in through history, um, the Republican Party became a bit stale yeah. um, during the 80s with Reagan. And Ooh. after Bush won, yeah. what happens? After the first Bush? Yeah. Really got stale. Got super stale, obviously, yeah. because you have probably the most stale you know, presidential candidate. Bunch of old, boring white dudes. You know, and then the that's the what happens with H. Ross Perot comes on the scene and shook said, things up. It, well, it didn't shake things; it just made it was like variety explodes. Yeah, you know, a variety of opinion explodes, and suddenly we have something new. Yeah, that's true. Well, what's the right answer, Eddie? Well, there's no right answer. It's only it's a subjective opinion question. Oh, I know, but but you have the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> If you ask the Founding Fathers, almost all of them will tell you that parties are a bad thing. We hear that cited all the time. Yeah. You know, that James Madison referred to factions and was very worried about these factions. And those factions, of course, are the political parties. Right. But we are going to talk a little bit about the rebirth of political party, which is really going to manifest in 1828. But it starts to begin at a local, at a more local level now. Yeah. Okay. Today we're going to talk about the real father of American politics, and that is. I'm going to tell you soon. I've got this whole buildup that <laughs> then reveals the name. Uh, this is the era of democracy, and people are saying democracy. Everyone's talking about it. There's this huge proliferation of newspapers and suddenly people are getting all the information and they're into the game of national politics. It's like the advent of social media, wherein that people now have this totally new connection to all the information and they want to participate. And it drives the elites crazy because the elites don't want these people to participate, but they want to. Yeah. And so that's what this era is much like the era that we're in now, yep. uh, in that way. So they have this caucus, but it's a total mess, and only about a third of people show up because they don't want to look like they're involved with the caucus because now people are saying it's undemocratic. They're saying it totally violates the separation of powers. And plus, if there's only one party, this becomes much more noticeable. We mentioned it way early on in the show that this was a total violation of the separation of powers, but with only one party, now Congress is just picking the president. Yeah, they're just nominating a president at this point. So uh, what's going to happen? You nominate them, and they become president because there's nobody to run. So let me ask you a question. Is this because there's no other classification of politics in America, or is it because there's such a vacuum of ideas? Like, obviously, to to me, there seems like there's got to be other ideas other than one political party, but maybe it's just because there's only one way to classify people because it's such a brand new concept. I would say what really happened is we started with Federalists and Anti-Federalists, and the Federalists won that battle. So because they won that battle, that was the reason that they existed, okay? Now the anti-federalists become the Democratic Republicans, and they too believe in the national system. So slowly, 
There's just this coming together in Washington. And remember, there's not very much democracy. You don't that much have to answer to your constituents. There's really just this Washington group think, or like I think it was Scott said, a vacuum. Yeah. Yeah, it's a total vacuum. It's more like the elites are, are agreeing on the issues. That's dangerous, too. No kidding. I mean, it's, it's much more dangerous than than anything else to have one party controlling everything who agree that is where your big problems come from and if you look at there's there's essentially zero middle class established yet there is only elites and then the 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 just the the peasants your your field workers and and then your slaves so that's a very dangerous way to grow a country yeah i agree with that so the british form of political party and remember, we're still heavily inf- influenced by British culture because that's where everybody came from. Right. It'll be a couple more elections before we have a president who is actually born in the United States. Okay, now, listen, I think we probably all knew that, but when, it, when you hear it for the first time, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's impactful because there's no— American. <laughs> yeah, this You're is number only, six. We're at number six now. I and he's still yeah, not, we're, he's we're, still there's still no American president yet. There's just yeah. someone that's been elected a president. You're the first American president hasn't been elected yet. Right. Which is kind of strange. The first president born in the United States is actually also the guy I'm going to reveal as the father of American politics. Oh, it's like you had this plan. I know, right? You've been guiding us through this. (laughs) All right, so the parties, they revolved around a powerful leader or a powerful family. And the American version of political parties have a structured platform of issue-based belief. So there's a shift from the politics of status to the politics of opinion. Okay. Okay, so DeWitt Clinton... He was the head of the New York Republican Party. He inherited it from George Clinton because that's how it works, right? You inherit it. It's about family and it's about names. And it's not really about policy or ideas or anything like that. Right. So DeWitt Clinton is operating along this old paradigm of party. And a lot of New Yorkers were just sick of that. So we got this group called the Bucktails. You heard of the Bucktails? Never. I'm not either. Uh, they're a group of Republicans who want to take the party away from Clinton. They're tired of Clintons. You could probably relate to <laughs> you're, it. I mean, you're it's... putting that on a T, and I'm just sitting here. <laughs> <laughs> New Yorkers tired of Clinton. I can't. I cannot imagine how that relates today. <laughs> and the most prominent member of the Bucktails also happens to be the father of American politics, a man named. Martin Van Buren. <laughs> oh, of course, old Marty. Martin Van Buren. You think you would have got him in 20 guesses if I said which president is the father of chance. American politics? The only reason I remember him is because he's got a van in his name. I mean, that's the only reason. Van. Yeah, if it was Martin Buren, nobody would remember him. Marty. Yeah. In the next episode, 1828, we'll talk about Martin Van Buren inventing the Democratic Party. And I'm talking about the Democratic Party that we know today. And then later, we'll talk about another party created by Martin Van Buren, the Republican Party. 
Whoa, 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 wait a second. Whoa. So he created both of these guys. He sounds like Mitt Romney. I mean, he straight up invented the Democratic Party, and then years later, he splits with the other Democrats because so many of them are pro-slavery, and he's anti-slavery. So because he's anti-slavery, he leaves the Democratic Party and creates a free soil party, and that free soil party is one of the main cogs of what becomes the Republican Party that we know today. Wow. She's the father of both. Gets around. Yeah. Yeah, and he brings the convention, that way of choosing candidates instead of a caucus, he brings that to the national level as well. I bet nobody knows this about Van Buren. So like Eddie. I got there's a, a strong case to be made. He is the most influential president that no one knows a damn thing about. Yeah. I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, definitely. It's not even close. Yeah. Like, I can't wait till we talk about his elections because I'm just, I, I'm a huge Van Buren fan. He's one mm-hmm. of my favorites. People don't like him because he's a real sort of, Probably a guy who was on the spectrum. Oh, eccentric. It's weird that he became president. Now he would never become president because he's really a behind-the-guy kind of guy. He's the guy who's got all the numbers, you know what I mean? He's like the super wonk. Yeah. Yeah, he's the Karl Rove. They called him the little magician. Yeah, he's such a Karl Rove. That really is what he is. Yeah. The little magician. Wow. The Little Magician, <laughs> or Old Kinderhook. Some people call him Old Kinderhook. That's the one I heard. We'll talk yeah. about that. That's the one I've heard of. Everybody's heard of Old Kinderhook, whether they know it or not. That was one of Martin Van Buren's nicknames because he was born in the town of Kinderhook in New York. And then they shortened that during the election to OK. And they will make signs and stuff that said, Van Buren is OK. That is literally actually where the word okay was invented. So he's also the the father of white power. (laughs) (laughs) You better explain that one for whoever is listening. (laughs) This whole time. The whole okay symbol now that's being portrayed as a white power symbol now by some I kind of went, went off after a couple of cocktails in Philadelphia about the okay symbol being a white power thing now. Yeah. And I really pissed off his lady next to me. I mean, she was she was about to say something, and I was about to say something back. It's never good a few cocktails in to get into that. No. <laughs> I, it's funny. You, you sit in the shower, and you always refight the battles you never got into. Yeah. That's such a Costanza movie. It is. It is. And I was I was like, you know what? She's going she's gonna to throw her, her drink on me, so I'm going to take my pasta and throw it on her head. <laughs> I do not condone. Anyway. Any anyway. I digress. <laughs> Neither does Eddie. I'm this is some high volume. Crazy. Did you ever determine what volume beer yours the 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 blood of tyrants was, Eddie? <laughs> I'm talking about. I'm talking five. I'm, I'm talking like it's maybe an eight, a nine, or a ten. I'm talking very Irish. All this Scott and I changed beers, by the way. Hey, listen. Because... How dare you? How dare you take something as simply delicious as Shinerbach and ruin it by creating? Shiner Christmas holiday or, or <laughs> which holiday is, cheer. Which is what I'm drinking now. That is like 
if that if yours was the 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 blood of tyrants, which I have determined was the beer that that Andy Dufresne was was drinking on the top of the of the, of the prison that day, just delicious. Then Shinerbox Holiday Cheer is what you get after you urinate that out. It's friggin' awful. Anyway, Matt likes it. it. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty good. I have, to say, something, Eddie. I have to say that. Wow. I don't even know where we're at at this point. That's what you get, man. What you get I do. Me. I've got you. Okay. You get I'll, a couple uh, beers in me is what you get. I'll maybe transition us back in here. So the questions <laughs> that the Bucktails face is how do you tear down these aristocratic leaders of our politics and these prominent families who have been powerful for generations? And they did it by... Adopting the rhetoric of democracy. No, well, wait, wait a second. So you're leading, you're, you're, you're trying to tell us that this whole thing of democracy was just a coined word. That was a bad word. And now these guys in the Albany Regency, the Bucktails, they take it and they use it by saying, I mean, every one of us knows how to use the rhetoric of democracy to get our way politically, right? Yeah. All you all you have to do is go around saying, these elites don't want you to have a say. Yep. They don't care about democracy. They hate democracy. And what does that do when people find that out? Yeah, I mean, you hear it they from get, both sides right now. Yeah, I'm sure there's some guy who is, like, literally illiterate and cannot read a word and has never thought about one subject for more than eight seconds in his life. And he thinks, <laughs> why does this Thomas Jefferson think he's smarter than I am? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> Still kind of works that way. And you know what? In a way, maybe Thomas Jefferson's not smarter than that guy because that guy knows about what the life of that guy is like. And what the lives of most Americans are like, and Thomas Jefferson probably does not. He does not. You're exactly right. Does not, which is why you need democracy. That's right. That's why it's good because the people who live it. I got to fight with this total d bag. Yeah, <laughs> call him a d bag on on Twitter yesterday. He was an ambassador in the Obama administration. Oh, I, saw this. I know because it was in his in his bio, so everybody could know how important he was. And he says to me. I've never even heard of you. And, I, and, and that was meant to be a burn on me. But I was like, dude, of course you've never heard of me. I'm a teacher. I'm just some guy, dumbass. Yeah. I'm just a normal you know, Why dude would you have heard of me? That you keep responding to, by the way. Exactly. But thank you for giving me a platform to build my reputation among Mr. Ambassador. That's right. I totally trashed this guy in the shower. You would... You will be proud. (laughs) And then I came with an uppercut. (laughs) So the Bucktails adopt the rhetoric of democracy, and they say, oh, it's it's not democracy. And it's like after you watched all those professors testify before the House Judiciary hearing a few days ago, and you would think, I mean, you would think that America is strongly rooted in democracy from day one. Right. And they're, they're saying James Madison would want to protect our democracy. Which is totally false. Yes, 100%. Uh, number one, James Madison had no desire to protect democracy in any way. Number two, if it's you... not a democracy, it's a republic. Exactly. He would have corrected you. It's a democratic republic, yeah. but a republic nonetheless. We want to count everyone's vote. 
kind of. I mean, not really. Yeah. We want to give the appearance of counting exactly. everyone's we want, votes. We want to give the appearance of, of justice. Yeah, that you matter. But other than that, we really give a crap. Up until now, it, almost nobody could vote. Your average white guy can't vote. Only land-owning elite can vote. They talk about how the right to vote is your most important right. That is not in the Constitution. There is no right to vote. So this is the new in thing. Democracy is catching fire. That's what information does. And the proliferation of all these newspapers gets people reading about the national issues. Once people read about the national issues, they have opinions on them. Then they want to be included, and that's that. So I guess there's a really good case to be made that consumerism starts to take root here as well, as as far as the media is concerned. Because at the time, media outlets were catering specifically towards one side or the other, or just a specific political side. And because of that, it just it allowed them that much more of a, of a platform because they actually had buyers or consumers of, of that particular opinion. That's right. And in this Jacksonian era, really, they're going to become more partisan than they even were before. Ooh. People like just the strongest rhetoric they can get a hold of. That's what people like. Just whoever agrees with them the more strongly is the best person. So basically, the Bucktails with their uh, rhetoric of democracy are going to be the inventors of populism. The idea that you say to the masses, you should be in charge of this, not the aristocrats. Okay. That is a product of Jacksonian America, and it still exists today. And Jacksonian America, of course, was not created by Jackson at all, but by Van Buren and the Bucktails in New York, but mostly Van Buren. And they succeeded... They succeeded at ousting the Clintons from the Republican Party. In many ways, the exact same way that in 2016, Trump succeeded in ousting the Bushes from the Republican Party. Uh, Very, very true. I mean, if you go from one Bush, you go from George H.W. to George W. to Jeb, uh, they don't even believe very many of the same things. They're not the same politically. and. You know, it's all about the family name. That's like old British politics that people would keep electing Bushes and keep thinking that the Bushes are important. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think that's that's one of the reasons his name was actually a detriment in this last election. And and honestly, partly because somebody like Donald Trump was in this election, a very populist type candidate that could point out the fact that Bush in, in a certain roundabout way was political royalty. And that was what we did not want. Yeah, I wrote an article in The Hill during that primary, and I wrote that of the 17 Republican candidates, Jeb Bush was my 17th choice. It was because of this old-style political family paradigm that is bringing back. We don't need more Bushes. We're not building a hedge. Uh, and And it's much the same way that Bernie Sanders came close to ousting The modern Clintons. People get tired of the same name over and over, kind of controlling politics. A hundred percent. Yeah. The more people disconnect from it when things are going really well, and then over time as those leaders start to become arrogant and they start to feel that they're entitled to their power and they start to feel that the people serve them instead of vice versa, that's when some populace comes along and knocks them all out. 
Right. So the Bucktails created a political party that did not revolve around a person or a family. It was a party that was a democratically run organization, which meant that it could be permanent because it didn't rely on a family or a personality. And it was the first real political machine in America. And so they're not really nominating a national candidate at this point. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yes, that is not how they choose the candidate on the national level yet, but it will be next time because the result of this election is going to be a total disaster. Uh, Like I told you before, we've got, there's only one party, so there's only two ways to choose your candidate, which is uh, sectionalism or personality. Right. And so we have this caucus in Congress, and they choose Crawford, but people are really, really mad about it. And so what happens is that the state legislatures start to nominate people. On whose whose orders of volition? Their own? I mean, they just say, we're going to do this? Yeah, they just—I mean, nothing in the Constitution says that the federal Congress can— nominate presidential candidates. I got you. So they're like, no, we're not going to take your advice. We're going to start nominating our own people. That's right, 100%. So the Massachusetts legislature nominates John Quincy Adams, current Secretary of State. The Kentucky legislature nominates Henry Clay, currently the Speaker of the House. That's going to be important at the end. Okay. Crawford, of course, is the official candidate of the Democratic Party nationally, selected by the National Caucus. And the Tennessee legislature selects Andrew Jackson. Now, Jackson really hates Crawford, and he really hates Clay. All he cares about is them going down. Jackson doesn't even ask anybody to nominate him. He just gets nominated by the Tennessee legislature out of the blue. If not, he probably would have supported Adams because Adams had the best opportunity to defeat Clay and Crawford. Right, and he didn't want either one of those to win. That's right. So we got all these guys in the running for the presidency, and Adams and Jackson both do something archaic, which— is they run as mute tribunes. I've never heard of that. Washington is famous for being the mute tribune. That's when you are running for the office, but you don't campaign for it openly. You let other people need you to have the office, and then you accept it. You know, you accept it only for the good of your country and because your country has called on you. You don't go out saying, elect me president. So you, that's actually how I was drug into marriage. <laughs> it all <laughs> goes back tribune. to something like that. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, it does. So here's what happens. Andrew Jackson, and remember, this is the first time, I don't know if I said this yet, this is the first time that there's a real popular vote in the country. Almost everybody who's a white male can vote now. Okay. Whereas in previous presidential elections, almost nobody was able to vote. You can't even hardly find numbers for popular votes because it was so—it was just not even important. It didn't even matter. There weren't very many. Now there are going to be lots. And you may get to this, but is everybody going to be on the ballot? All four of them are on all the ballots pretty much? Yeah, Jackson, Adams, Crawford, and Clay 
all make it to the ballots. Okay. And so Jackson gets 99 electoral votes and 150,000 popular votes. That's a lot. That's that's pretty good showing for someone who didn't want it. Yeah. That's the most of anyone. John Quincy Adams gets 84 electoral votes and 108,000 popular votes. I am sensing some drama coming out of this. That's the second most. Yeah. William H. Crawford gets 41 electoral votes and 40,000 popular votes. And Henry Clay, Speaker of the House, gets only 37 electoral votes, but he gets 47,000 popular votes. Something's got to give. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody got a majority of the electoral votes. And And what happens if nobody gets a majority of the electoral votes? It's thrown to the House. That's right. The House of Representatives gets to choose from the top three candidates because of the 12th Amendment. That's what's in the 12th Amendment. But they don't choose with a straight up or down vote. They group themselves by state, and each state gets one vote. Uh, So it goes to the House, but they can only choose Jackson, Adams, or Crawford. Clay's just... He's, just He's out of it. Gotcha. He can't be chosen because he had the fourth most electoral votes, and only the top three can be chosen from. All three go in as just you can vote for any of these people as as a state contingent in the House. That's right. Yep. If nobody wins a majority of the electoral votes, then electoral votes cease to matter. Gotcha. So Congress is like deadlocked on who to choose, and they can't come up with a choice. So here's where it happens. And you have to remember, this is a time where democracy is the big thing. It's the buzzword on everybody's lips. Everybody cares about democracy now. We just went and had a presidential election where the people's voice was heard for the first time ever in American history in a presidential election. So what happens? Adams makes a deal with Henry Clay. The deal is... You're Speaker of the House. You barter for me and bring votes over to me, and I will make you Secretary of State. Backroom deal already. Yeah, no kidding. Yep. It goes down in history as the corrupt bargain. Very, very powerful member of the House, obviously the most powerful. He's cutting a deal with him to, to garner some votes so that he wins. Uh, what, pardon me, but is this quid pro quo? It sound, sounds like it. Sounds like quid pro quo. Yeah. It's bribery. So Adams makes this deal with Clay, and they choose Adams. So think about 2016 election. Trump gets the most electoral votes, but he doesn't get the most popular votes. And he becomes president, and there's a huge national meltdown. I mean, I don't know what alternate universe you live Someone in. Someone might get mean, impeached if that happened. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> that somebody gets the most electoral votes and the most popular votes and doesn't become president. And that happened in this election. Yes. And yeah. if that happened to a Democrat today, oh my God. Yeah. Jackson is mad. His supporters are mad. You know, they ought to amend the House of Representatives choosing the president out of the Constitution because. Nobody knows that that's what happens, and when that eventually does happen, people are going to melt down (laughs) when they find out. Yes. I mean, think about this. We're not—you know, it sounds crazy, but 
we're not that far from one of these Democratic candidates who's not going to get the nomination, but who's very popular in a select few states. S- assume Bernie Sanders, who if you tell his supporters that he's not going to get the nomination, they will absolutely go nuts on you. But but that aside, assuming Bernie Sanders does not get the nomination, he could still run as a third-party candidate. He could still get electoral college votes, obviously, and he could win enough enough of those swing states or, or other states to keep either of the two major candidates from winning a majority of the, the electoral college. Yeah, that's one way that it could go down, yeah. or it could just be President, or it could just be Donald Trump running against Hillary Clinton, and they both get two hundred and sixty-nine electoral votes. Right, but e- either way, you're right. We're not yeah. aware that it gets thrown straight to the House at that point. Right. I mean, there's probably half the country doesn't know that impeachment doesn't mean you're removed from office. So I can only imagine ninety percent of the country doesn't know that the election gets tossed to the House of Representatives and that they just get to choose. But what's crazy <laughs> about that is nothing's changed since this election to now in that it's not a majority of the House members. Right. One vote for per state. So a Democrat would get California's vote. You know, a Republican would get North Dakota's vote. So who would win? I'm telling you. I know this is way off topic, but who wins then? I'm who telling you, I think, think state-wise, Trump still has the House at a state oh, level. Oh, sure, yeah. Absolutely. Better, yeah, Trump would, um, yeah, right Right now, even though there's a Democratic majority, oh, President my God. Trump probably I'm, I'm would s- win more states. I'm salivating over the implosion of you liberals out there. You can't see Scott. He's literally praying oh that this happens. Oh, my God. As someone who, who devours <laughs> political theater, merciful God for Christmas, I want this. Listen, here's what's going to happen. I want this here's to what, happen. Here's what's going to happen, Eddie. It goes to the House, and everybody on the Democratic side is celebrating because they know Nancy Pelosi wins the House again. <laughs> she is Speaker of the House. They know that they have the majority in the and house. Even to, Chris Cuomo thinks it's going to happen. Yeah, it's a slight majority. They're it, all talking about it. It comes over in his in his earpiece, and he goes, "What? Wait a minute. What? <laughs> How is that possible? <laughs> what, what is happening? Exactly. The ultimate meltdown. It's the meltdown where you think you won. They say we're going to revolt, civil war. I need to borrow your gun. <laughs> All right, so as we get to the end of this, I'm going to tell you that there was probably a lot of fear towards Andrew Jackson. After this happens, Andrew Jackson is beside himself with anger. He tells all of his supporters that the election was stolen from him. You have to understand what kind of person that Jackson is. Uh, Just to give you a good idea of the kind of person Jackson is, years before this, about 1806, I believe, back in '06, this guy, I think his name's Charles Dickinson, he writes uh, this nasty thing in the newspaper about Andrew Jackson, calls him a coward. So Andrew Jackson challenges him to a duel, and they meet up. Charles Dickinson is the one that is being challenged, so he gets to choose the weapon. So his weapon of choice, pistols. So they get into a pistol duel, and, you know, it's just like you see on TV. You walk 24 feet, and then you turn around, and you shoot at each other. And each person gets one shot. Because you have to do it fast, here's what Jackson decides. He tells his second at the duel, 
I am going to walk over there, and I'm going to stand there, and I'm going to let him shoot quickly. And then I'm going to absorb the bullet. (coughs) Wow. So that he has to stand there while I have time to aim and shoot him dead. Because you have to wait till the other person shoots too, right? Right. He can't shoot again until after Andrew Jackson is shot. What a damn Tennessee. So the guy turns around, shoots Andrew Jackson square in the chest. Andrew Jackson absorbs the bullet. Holy. He takes out his pistol and takes his time aiming at the guy and shoots him dead. Oh, my goodness. God almighty. I love this. That's that's perfection right there. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's America, but that's Tennessee right there. Yeah, he's a, that's a Tennessean right there. Jackson lives 40 more years with the bullet in him. I mean, what do you think is this guy when you turn around and Jackson's just standing there with his hands on his hips? He's not even drawing his gun, and he's just yeah. like, he's, he's taking a in bullet. Mo- in modern day, I think that Jackson, he takes it, he touches the wound, he licks it, pulls out his, his <laughs> and he turns it gangster style <laughs> and goes, my turn. Beep. I mean, that's got to be made into a movie. Bullet explodes out of the chamber. It's spiraling towards the man's head. It's like the Matrix, and then it goes... (laughs) Just like that. I imagine it to be quite like any time that Bruce Willis gets shot in a movie. If you've ever seen Bruce Willis shot in a movie, what does he do? He goes... Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, that's smart. And then he just continues yeah. on with whatever he was doing. <laughs> I mean, technically, at that point, he could have a sandwich in between shooting, you know? So <laughs> President Monroe has a reception for John Quincy Adams after John Quincy Adams becomes president-elect after the corrupt bargain. Everybody knows that Jackson is on a rampage over it, and that Jackson has been known to kill anyone who called him a bad name or anything like that. Right. So I'm going to read you uh, a short selection from The Last Founding Father by Harlow Giles Unger about Andrew Jackson showing up at this reception. At President Monroe's reception for President-elect John Quincy Adams at the White House, Monroe and Lafayette and the others stopped talking and held their collective breaths as Andrew Jackson thrust his perpetually grim face through the door. Armed with pistols, as usual, he snapped his head from side to side until he spotted Quincy Adams. He stared for a moment, then broke into a broad grin and bounded forward, hand outstretched to congratulate the president-elect and pledge his loyal support. At which point, John Quincy Adams changed his underpants. Yes, Tristan. He crapped his pants. One hundred percent. I guarantee. You know he. You know he was scared. As we'll find out next time, the corrupt bargain winds up being the worst mistake of John Quincy Adams' career. It it winds up being the worst mistake of Henry Clay's career. It ends up being the best thing that ever happened to Andrew Jackson and maybe to American politics. I mean, think about it. He's a hero. Andrew Jackson is is the winner. Everybody in Washington knows that. Who doesn't vote for Andrew Jackson next time when they hear this story? Yeah. 
they're like, okay, he's he's a you could say he is any type of human being on the on the face of the earth, and people are still gonna get behind him in line to to run through brick walls for this guy. He took a bullet to the chest. He's honestly got to be. Then took aim and and and, and massacred the next guy. He's got to be the next larger than life hero after Washington. Really, I mean, you got Monroe, who a few people know. Oh, now about. that's a really good question, Eddie. But, I mean, is this this almost takes him to to Washingtonian status here, right? I mean, he's he's larger than life after this. Andrew Jackson is a straight up crazy person. I don't know how else to tell you. <laughs> Andrew Jackson is a straight up crazy person, and. Uh, He was a prisoner of war when he was like 12. One of the British soldiers says to him, you know, shine my boots. And Andrew Jackson says no. And the British soldier hits him with the sword. And Jackson has a scar on his face for the rest of his life from his experience as a 12-year-old prisoner of war. Maybe he was 14. He was in that area. Okay, this guy's a badass. There's yeah, no I mean, way. There's no way. After hearing this, I'm voting to take him off the twenty dollar bill. No way. I refuse to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. This no. This guy is so American. It hurts. I mean, there was some bad shit, but still. I mean, come on. He took a bullet to the chest. He took a bullet to the chest and ticked it out. No, no. He left it there. He's yeah. like, you know what? Hurts. Leaving it there. Yeah. I want everybody else to know this hurts to the day I die. <laughs> it's staying. <laughs> He wins the next presidential election, so we'll talk about Andrew Jackson next time. I think he fought in like 38 duels, and I just talked about one of them. Damn. That's so pimp. Yeah. The guy's like, duels? I dig (laughs) it. Let's go. Andrew Jackson, when he was uh, in the Senate, he couldn't even ever speak on the Senate floor because he was so enraged all the time. He was just... He would choke on his own rage constantly, and he couldn't speak. So is Bernie Sanders. I wish. I wish he was around now. That would be so awesome. Uh, he committed some. He committed some light treason in his earlier days. <laughs> light. Uh, Who hasn't committed some light treason though? He invaded. The the reason that we ended up with getting Florida from the Spanish is that he invaded Florida unilaterally and then the government, (laughs) specifically John Quincy Adams, had to ex post facto come up with an excuse to explain why Andrew Jackson invaded Florida. Okay, no one needs to give the, the, the biography of Andrew Jackson to Donald Trump or he is going to start... He's going to invade some country <laughs> just to one up. I think Eddie tweeted at one point that his gun shoot me. How much no, no, Jackson was shoot like me. Trump? You know yeah. how much the lore of Jackson and, and the lore of Trump, and it's I mean it's it's playing out. Yeah, shoot me. No. You know what's wrong with me? I did the research for this episode, and I read the stuff about Van Buren and the Bucktails again, and then I read all the Andrew Jackson stories again, and I thought, hey, I'm going to lead off with the Martin Van Buren stuff because that's the most interesting. Yeah. <laughs> wow. What a what a stick dork. With, stick with making beer, okay? What a dork. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I got. It's a good rap on a, on a one-term wonder. John Quincy Adams, who was a smart guy, but sounds like he made a really stupid decision to make this deal. I am so impressed by your beer. Yeah. 
I cannot even express it. Scott is is really <laughs> about to attack me for not bringing both bottles home, and I don't know where that other bottle is. We're going to search for it. <laughs> well, you know, I gave almost all of them away because I ended up liking it so much, and I thought this is a beer that anybody can drink. This is like basically one step up from a macro brew like Miller Lite or Budweiser. This is one step up from that, I think. I can't believe uh, Scott know, likes it so much. It's 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 really a good beer, though. Yeah. I'm, I'm just really impressed, Eddie. I mean, seriously. I it's, love it. It's puckish yet sincere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very much blushing right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to send you guys... The next beer, which is the Harris Porter, which I have 23 bottles of in my beer brewing closet right now. We need to do Asheville. We need to meet up yes. in Asheville yes. and get it. When we go to Asheville, I will bring the Harris Porter. I will get those little microchips that you can track with your phone yeah. to put on it <laughs> so you can't lose them. Yes. <laughs> I think that's a wrap. It, you, is, it is a wrap. Why don't you close this out and not screw it up this time? Uh, I'm going to screw it up this time. Don't yeah. worry. Yeah. Everybody, thank you for joining us. <laughs> Please, if you're Good not show, gentlemen. Yeah, if you're not following us, go follow us on iTunes or any other podcast app that you happen to use. And also follow us on Twitter at election and beer. And we'll see you next time for the election of eighteen twenty eight. And let me take a moment just to apologize to everyone that I did not lead with the Andrew Jackson stories. I, I see now. That that was a mistake. But we're going to hear way more about Andrew Jackson. I cannot wait. Next episode. Make sure you come back.